what, they think we got three Rod Brandemores or what? I think I started lifting real lightweights when I was like 12. Now listening to the Rod the Podcast with your hosts Jordan Betts and Mike Men. All right, Michael, it's good to be back behind the mics. Um, we kind of tonight want to recap what's happened in the first month in earnest of the NHL offseason since free agency opened on July the first. Um, before we dive in, how we doing? Doing pretty good, you know. We just gotta see if we still know how to do this. It's just <laughs> our monthly, month and change challenge at this point. You know, um, trying to get in the rhythm. It's one of those things aligning schedules, but also it just felt like we were on the precipice of something big happening, and we sure. didn't want it to be dated immediately. Schedules happen, like I said, and and here we are a month later. But uh, apologies for that. Going to be a jam packed episode. Lot to get to. Um, let's start out with some good news. Sebastian Ajo signs the largest extension in Carolina Hurricanes history. How are we feeling about that? I mean, it's awesome news. We've talked about it for a while. It's super important to get that done. Number one, if he didn't want to come back, you needed to move him. If there was going to be an impasse or if he didn't have interest, you can't have the John Tavares Johnny Gaudreau, yeah. you name the scenario. You can't have your superstar player if we want to call him that, I think you he can't. He, yeah. I think for the Canes, he probably qualifies as that. You can't have them walk for free. That sets your franchise back pretty drastically. So having him sign was big for that. And then simultaneously, you're looking at having him potentially retire as a Hurricane. Now it's the likelihood has definitely gone up significantly, and it basically makes him the shoe in to be the next captain of the Carolina hurricanes. And all of those are really, really positive things that you have to be super happy about. Yeah. And so the contract detail details an additional eight years at $9.75, million total. Um, obviously a very deserved contract worthy of the number. Um, I think we can debate the merits of superstar. I, I think without question, he's a hurricane superstar. Um, uh, been and, probably will continue to be for the next little bit, at least the best player on the team. You know, a guy that you mentioned is already in a leadership role, but will likely be the next captain once Jordan Stahl decides to retire. Um, to me, the biggest thing here is, of course, getting it to the deadline, but man, way to, way to do it without the hysterics and the drama of the previous iteration of how this contract drama went. And, Hey, I, it's a good deal. Um, you've seen, you know, both Twitter, everyone's favorite app, and we'll talk about it later. I guess now it's X, my mm -hmm. mistake. But um, a lot on there of, hey, this is a terrific value deal for the Canes. They're signing a top 10 center in the league. Fantastic. You're also seeing, hey, they overpay, but that's how it's going to be. But I generally more positive than negative. I wanted it to be below 10 AAV. It was that. Uh, I think it's a great deal for both sides, and I look forward to him uh, continuing to be the guy here for the Canes. 
Yeah, I mean, he is a bona fide number one center locked up at less than $10 million for the next nine seasons. I mean, with the expectation that the cap is going up, it makes the deal even better. 100%. It's, a, it's a good deal today, and that's before the cap goes up at all. Um, it, and what you really have to consider, it's only a little bit more than a million dollars annually difference. It's, it's yeah. not a crazy thing for the team. Absolutely. And when we talked about the offer sheet when it originally happened, I think that the math was kind of like he needed to be making more than 10 on this next deal for it to really have made sense for him to sign that offer sheet. And the reality of it is, I don't know if there was a change of heart in that five years where he decided he didn't want to test the market at all, but this wasn't this this really wasn't the time to be going into your next negotiation. I'm thinking a year or two down the road. This is could have been a lot better. different. And, yeah. you know, maybe he went through that and just decided, I want to nip in the bud and sign the right deal for the me and the team. And he's obviously going to be highly compensated for uh, his efforts here, and he deserves to be. So um, all positives in that regard. Any kind of final thoughts? Do you want to debate the superstar thing? Or are we good to go there? Yeah, I mean, we can debate the superstar thing. And then also, I think we have to look at the fact that I think Waddell maybe learned his lesson by playing playing that black ball or whatever you want to. Or maybe Waddell realized that he had more leverage because Ajo was an RFA. And this time yeah. he would have been a UFA. Um, to me, to kind of preface the superstar debate, it looks to me like it's two things. You got people, the positives in two camps. One, um, analytics Twitter has him as a top five center bona fide, no doubt. I think the bigger question, and maybe what we want to dive into, um, is is he a Stanley Cup winning first line center? Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, can he elevate uh, to that level? Sure. Or is it more so the pieces around him? Because, I mean, did. Vegas have a bona fide, I mean, Eichel's, no. I would say at his best, Eichel's probably better than Aho, but Aho's been better the past number of years. I mean, it's debatable. I think he's uh, in that vicinity in that echelon. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think there is nothing that stops him from being a Stanley Cup winning center. I, I, I don't think that's even close to a thing in my book because so if they win it it's not because he is can't elevate to that level because i think he already performs at that level yeah i think yeah i i would say that he's already there obviously as a competitor he's gonna say there are things he can improve on and there definitely are things he can improve on but you can't ask for much more he's good in the face-off circle he is a goal scorer he four checks he back checks. He does all the little things on the ice. He's a leader. And I mean, you're never not going to get it from him. He brings it all the time. Like, could he be, uh, could he have a little more pure goal score in him? Like he, he works for a lot of his goals. hundred percent. Could he have some of those back breaking goals where you score against the run of play? Maybe. Um, yeah, he could maybe be a little bit better at that, but that's Probably I mean, we're, not we're his nitpicking role. at that point. Absolutely. Right? And, and that's and we can also discuss, as we have in previous pods, how much of the system is a part of this. And, 100%. And one, one thing that he does unquestionably is embrace the system, plays his role, and you know excels within that. Um, if we took the governor off and he was able just to maybe Heat he would for put, offense, right? Yeah. Maybe he would put up more numbers and all those things. But would the team be as successful? And and you have a guy 
who's a part of your leadership core that recognizes that doing his job's more important than individual stats. And yeah. that's what I think it's the little things. A guy plays in every situation uh, without question. And gosh, I mean, they haven't produces. won a cup. Produces. In every situation. I mean, we talk about not power. being a goal scorer, but yeah. Penalty just, kill, power many, play, you know, Multiple 30-goal seasons, you yeah. know, he's 37, 38. Like, the guy puts up numbers uh, down a little bit this past year, but he missed some time with injury. Uh, couldn't be more pleased with the, the number and the contract. Um, I, I think it's a win-win for both sides. And I look forward to him being that first-line center that leads them uh, to their second cup. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think a really big piece of that puzzle that you mentioned was the system and the system certainly doesn't highlight uh, I don't I don't want to say this the wrong way but at the end of the day it's not built to have guys come in and cheat for offense and be those game-breaking scores that are flying the flying the defensive zone early to try and get they're not. They're not stuff, trying so. to win five to four. Um, they're yeah. they're driven offensively a lot on the back end systematically, not yeah. for the lack of talent up top. Four check um, and cycle. Exactly. So, like I said, to to kind of put a bow on it, great deal for both sides. Exceedingly happy for him. Uh, he deserves it. Speaking of some other signings, do uh, you want to dive in on bringing the guys back or the guys that were brought in for free agency? Or from free agency. I think we just go down the list okay. and with no. So the, the one that I really want to dive into, uh, Dmitry Orlov signs a two-year, seven-point-five AAV deal with the Carolina Hurricanes. I think this is kind of, well, he was unquestionably the number one defenseman available uh, in free agency, sure. and so anytime you do that, great. And it was a signing that was largely praised uh, across the board. Uh, the AV, as everyone acknowledges, is too high, but the fact that they're able to give him on a short two-term, two-year deal, uh, which aligns with when many of the other contracts come up, so they're not committed long-term, um, leveraging cap space the way they did with the Kokiniemi signing, signing guy for more than market value, but not committing yourself long-term, I, I think it's another um, outstanding move by Don and, and his staff. Yeah, I mean, the organization has made a point that they are willing to commit dollars and less term. They've said it. I think if Dougie was interested in something like that, you could have seen Dougie sign a three- or four-year deal when he hit free agency at a much, much higher number. Way more, Like more than nine that he signed for. Yeah, but at the end of the day, they are not willing to commit eight-year contracts to aging players with a big AAV hit. And I think it's probably smart because if you look at the analytics, the gameplay typically falls off. And when you remove players like Brent Burns and stuff that are the outliers, it's probably even a steeper drop-off at that point. So it's smart business by the Canes. Like you mentioned, 7.75 AAV is certainly high, but it's only two years, and it walks you straight up to the point where – Nikishin can come over from Russia and step potentially right into that role. So it's good business by the Hurricanes. Okay, the side of this that makes it at least makes you put your you know your eyebrows up and hmm is this this really the right thing is now you have a bit of a logjam on the back end and we can loop in uh, TDA a little bit later, but let's just focus on uh, the lineup how it's currently constructed. And so I, I don't expect to see Slavin and Burns split. So what does that leave us in the second and third pairings? You're looking at 
Shea, Orloff, Pecci, Chatfield, and TDA all available. Um, I know we want to talk about what's next in a little bit, but does this signing for you um, kind of, is it a little perplexing from that standpoint? Uh, was this offer not available to Shea or Pesci, or do you think they just would not have pursued that with these guys? Because in Orlov, you're getting a little bit more of a defense first guy, a guy that's you know had some success in this league, but not a guy that would traditionally merit that number. Yeah, I mean, I think Orlov is probably an upgrade on Shea and Pesci, to be completely frank with you. I think they're gonna be coming after you on on sure. X app or whatever it's called. They're now. welcome to Pesh, Pesh supporters. No, and I hey, love great player. I, love yeah, I don't think that was a slight. No, I, I love Pesci, and I hope to see him in Carolina continuously. But Orlov is top pairing potential. Like Orlov could certainly play top pairing. Um, I think Shea and Pesci are really, really, really solid high end second pairing defensemen. Um, as it stands right now, I mean, you, you definitely are running out Slavin Burns, probably Orlov, Pesci, Shea, Chatfield. I don't really know what the plan for TDA is. Do you play 11 forwards and seven defensemen? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, I'm really not sure. Because well, the way they're currently constructed, that with how money is allocated and you know what's been proven within the AHL, the 11-7 makes more sense with the current personnel. I tend to believe... We're waiting for another shoe to drop, and, and that will likely come in the form of a Pesci and or Shea uh, trade, um, but we'll see how that goes. I, I I just, I don't know. I Is Orloff that much of an upgrade? You, you believe he is? I think he is, and I think you also have to take into account the really big piece of this puzzle that I alluded to was Nikishin is already – viewed probably as a top four defenseman in the NHL. The Canes have made it abundantly clear that he is very much a big part of their future plans. They're not going to put themselves in a position where either A, they have to give away one of these assets for free down the road just to keep Nikishin when it comes to re-signing. So you have to think about that when you look at a Shea or Pesci extension is what are the ramifications going to be on a future Nikishin extension. That's a really big piece. So term is obviously super important there. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I would like to keep one of Shea or Pesci in the long run and i would obviously prefer pesci i'm not sure what those dollar signs look like because i mean if you're if you're running pesci and nikishin i think that's a really outstanding second pair you've got the veteran that's going to play smart and at home and stable and then you can just unleash nikishin to go brutalize people essentially i mean He's That's gonna, the hope, right? He's going to be super physical. We'll see if the offense can translate into the NHL. He's got a big slap shot. He's mobile. He can outlet pass. He's got. A, he he's a high end defenseman. So I when I look at, I don't know if I've clearly answered the question, but when I look at Pesci, Shea, and Orlov, I think the Canes are really committed to Nikishin in the future and making sure that he has a role available to him that will draw him over to North America when his time is up in Russia. And honestly, I, I kind of think, think that's where they're putting their eggs in right now. Is that no, I, I, and honestly, I, I like that you made it, you extrapolated the question and made it more of a 
four-person discussion as opposed to a three. It, it, I think when you look at the lexicon of where they're at as an organization and as they build this defensive core or keep it together, um, that is kind of the next level thought process that needs to be within this discussion. You know, the, the discourse around Orlov, Shea, Pesci really can't be had in full without Nikishin. So um, that, that's a really great observation. Focusing on the here and now, um, does it not feel like that the move has to almost be Pesci though? Because traditionally they don't like playing defensive and on their offside. Um, Orlov can, but it feels right now you have four NHL quality defensemen that are right-handed, a right shot, and then vice versa, three on the left side. It just feels like we're stacking up that Pesci's going to be the odd man out, which is tough for a lot of people to swallow and, and understandably. Yeah, it it is tough for people to swallow. Um, at the end of the day, it all comes back to me and in, in the fact that I have a hard time unless – you're seeing Shea as your own like trade deadline acquisition that you're just going to play on the third pairing, even though he's suited it's for a lot a, to pay. Yeah. I mean, other, cause I, you have a, well, you have a one a in Jacob Slavin. You probably have a one B in Orlov and then you probably have a two a in Shea and you're going to have to filter them all out between th- three pairings most likely unless you're willing to go to the offside and to kind of advance this conversation a little bit when we're talking about the four right-handed players if Pesci moves on and you're not bringing back uh, a right-handed defenseman and moving out like you almost have to move Chatfield too unless the organization is so confident that he is ready for top four minutes. And I'm not going to say he's not because I think sure. he was fantastic as a third pair defenseman last year. I think he has all the tools to be to take another step. But that's a huge commitment to make from a team that has Stanley Cup aspirations. And is that a move that Waddell and Brendamore, because Brendamore is very active in these things, is that a move that they're comfortable with making? It, it does not feel like the right time for that with how everything's constructed. And, and maybe using this prism, maybe it makes more sense that Shea is the guy on the way out because we have seen Chatfield pit play on his offside. And so that would leave you with Slavin, Orloff, Chatfield on the left with Burns, Pesci, TDA on the right. And then it feels like everyone's slotted in the correct roles. 100%. Least. So maybe yeah. that's the decision they're they're trying to look through, and it's, you know, it could come down to Shea or Pesci making the decision for them in a sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's definitely a piece of the puzzle. Um, I think they will willingly keep one of the two. I mean, I think they would keep potentially both of them, depending on it. for Shea. I, I think it really matters to the year with it, but sure. I think they want to make. They don't like to make those moves in the year. Right. It, it feels like something, like I said, preface the whole conversation. Another shoe is about to drop. Yeah. And I think they're working through what exactly that is. But of the two scenarios presented, uh, analogous of any trade discussion, what we would have to look at, to me, it makes a lot more sense to have Chatfield on the left side. That that That's the lineup yeah, that makes more would, sense. Just because agree. you're, from an allocation of resources standpoint, it makes more sense 
uh, an alignment. And also we've seen Chatfield do it. Uh, keeps Pesci in his correct role. Him and Orloff would be a dynamite pairing. Um, yeah, I, I just think that allows you to lock TDA on the second power play unit. It just makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And like Tony is, you can't have brought him in to be your well, second let, pairing. Let's have the Tony discussion. Yeah. Yeah. One by 1.675, as opposed to making the trade and giving up a prospect, Philadelphia buys him out. Uh, I think we would have got him for 2.5 after all oh, their Carolina retention. saves between 8 and 9. Yeah, Carolina saves a contract. We'll call it a contract in value. They don't give up a prospect. But you don't sign a guy one year, 1.675, to step into your second pairing. I would be really shocked if that's what their plan was. And I don't think he can play I, that role without Slavin. And no, Slavin's I Slavin's going to be playing with Burns. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. I think Shea and and TDA would be a little terrifying. As, well, I mean, I guess <laughs> well, he, he would play with Orloff. He'd play with Orloff, but, but... Even then. There, there's only one person that I want to see TDA playing top four minutes with, and it's Jacob Slavin. And I don't want to see TDA playing with Jacob Slavin because I want Brent Burns to be playing with Jacob Slavin. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and Orlov likes to roam and stuff too. And I don't. That's not the. That's not the compliment. Yeah, you don't need. You don't need those two. Well, let's have the Tony discussion and let's try to avoid some of the the Twitter hysterics because. The X. The X. The gosh, X I, I know, I know. I can't even call it the bird app. Um. What you see on there is what you'd anticipate. It's all the things we talked about when Carolina signed him uh, during the first iteration. Um, the more hockey-centric, uh, nuanced take that is uh, independent of politics and or other factors. Um, from what we know, and remember, the, the, this whole podcast and everyone that it's involved with Canes that's not internal really know these guys and so we can only interpret what we read and what we see and from everything we see independent of what we think of him as a person or some decisions he's made his teammates likes him like him the coaching staff loves him um he is what he is as a player he's an offensive force that is an extreme liability at times defensively to me when it comes to him that's how i want to frame the conversation i don't care about all the tertiary stuff um, he was not a bad person or malignant in the community. Great. Um, he actually brought a little edge and grit and things that this team kind of needs. It alludes to why they signed like a Brennan Lemieux, right? Yeah. The, the Michael Buntings, guys like that that bring a little bit of sandpaper. It's not a bad thing to have. And you were talking about this before we got on. If he was that bad of a guy, why is he getting invited to all these guys' weddings? You know, why are they so welcome to have him back? And again, this doesn't condone his decisions in the past or things he's said or things he's done. And, but let's live in the here and now and not so much. Let's speak on what we've seen of him here, which has been largely positive. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I think we've gotten a little out of hand with the inability to move on sometimes. I think that's just part of society at this point is we like to get hung up on certain things and, we're not going to really go into that. We've gone into it on sure. when we originally signed we, him. And our initial thing was we want to give him the benefit of doubt to prove that he can be a positive force on the team and in the community. Nothing within the first stint here would signify he can't. I expect nothing less here, and we will judge him accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, you know, 
he's on a short leash and he or he earned his short leash and he's lost millions of dollars as a result of his actions like there's no denying that he was on pace to get paid a lot more money in his career and it is what it is and at the end of the day he wasn't meant to be a number one defensive defenseman like he has the offensive ability to really help in a lineup if you can put him down your lineup and protect him and keep him away from some of the more dangerous matchups and give him a good partner that's steady and allow him to produce what he can at five on five and hopefully be a a change maker on the second power play I think it's all great look when the when the playoffs came around when he was here power play wasn't great Okay. As is tradition. (laughs) As is tradition. And the reality is, well, hopefully by, you know, having him and Burns, you can get one unit hot. Yeah, you have less of a power play one, power play two, and then one A, one B. That's kind of how I I would view it. And the real factor here for me is the familiarity. Steps right in, knows the staff, knows the system. uh, To the cost. I mean, the... The opportunity cost here is exceptional. I mean, this is a guy that's going to produce above and beyond uh, the 1.6 plus that you're paying him. Yeah. Um, you, you got a deal. You didn't have to make the trade. All things that you said. The question I have for you, Mike, and I, I'm not going to give my opinion yet. Talking with the scenario that we previously created with how the lineup will play out defensively, um, can Jalen Chatfield be the partner to kind of protect Tony to allow Tony to do what he does best, but band-aid over uh, the defensive lapses. And secondarily, do you believe you win and lose a Stanley cup because of a third pairing defenseman playing 11 minutes a night? So yeah, those are good questions. And to answer the first question, Jalen Chatfield, I think he, has the ability to kind of be that band-aid. I think it'll kind of alter his role. He's going to have to stay at home a little bit more maybe than he had he did last year, I should say. Um, he's got all the tools, like I mentioned earlier. I mean, we're hypothetically talking about he has an outside shot at being top four quality sure. right now. I think there are teams he could go and be a – number four defenseman for sure i don't think that's crazy at all no and the fact that we're talking about it with this team debatably the best defensive unit in the entire league yeah i mean he's he's not a name so people don't put him that way sure but he's in the discussion if they went into the year and he was one of their top four i'm not this is not a calamity no i and i agree and um yeah i mean he's a late bloomer so like you mentioned, he doesn't get the notoriety, but at the end of the day, good skater, good on defense. I mean, he's got to learn. He's got to be a little bit smarter situationally and all these things, but you have to be encouraged by the steps he's taken and the willingness he has to do the hard things and prove himself and you, ha- you, you have to have some belief in a guy like that that's willing to constantly do the work every day when he probably should have been in the NHL a year or two earlier. I mean, he, he 
wrong he probably, system, right? I mean, he probably deserved a shot with the Canes earlier than he even got one, and he probably could have developed better if he hadn't. I don't know where was he before that Vancouver, remember, maybe I don't even remember. I misspoke. Right system, it's just hard to move. Uh, wrong organization as far as movement, you know. Yeah. They they often say to use baseball in my background, it's a lot harder to come up with the Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers than it is Miami or Pittsburgh or someone else. Sure. Like because those teams invest, they're strong in the areas that you expect them to be strong defensively. Carolina Hurricanes about as strong as anyone in the league the past handfuls of years. So um, the fact that he was a late bloomer, bloomer and bought his time and did get an opportunity. Um, outstanding on him and he keeps to develop he keeps developing and improving so um the one thing that you mentioned that i i think really needs to be highlighted the skating i mean whoever plays with tony has to be able to move tony's a good skater himself Um, it should be a a pairing that pressures people especially in this system Um, but chatfield has the skating ability and to make up for some mistakes now like you said he he has his um, positional things occasionally, and maybe that's not ideal with those two together. But I thought he looked really good on his offside, and um, I like the skating and the sandpaper, you know, that those two guys can bring together. They'll be a tough pairing to play against in a different way as opposed to um, just not being able to do anything versus Jacob Slavin. Well, and if you turn the puck over, they can both get the puck up the ice quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you have the skating for both of them, honestly, but Tony can hit the outlet passes. I think Jalen's gotten better at it. And I mean, Jalen's got wheels so he can go. I mean, that's a, you have to be aware when you have, you're going to be it's a pretty nice counter punching. Yeah. You're going to be running out a, a lot of fast players when you've got a Svech, Aho, Jarvis with potentially those two out on the ice. It's a lot of speed and a lot of skill and just allows the team to play in a, a, another facet of how they can, deviate their style a little bit more um the second question yep you know twitter's telling me that signing tony means you can't win a stanley cup because even if you shelter him you can't do it do you do you think a third pairing defenseman is the reason you do or do not win a cup no i would say definitely not i think at the end of the day you need every player on the ice right um and it can come ga- come down to one play, but sure. that play could be Jacob Slavin missing a clear. It it could be any player. At the end of the day, you have to try to re- put out a roster with as much talent as possible without going over the limit unless you're going to utilize LTR <laughs> like several Stanley Cup champions in the past have. Not I mean, naming any names. Yeah, not, not going to name names, but at the end of the day, you're not going to find better bang for your buck than a Jalen Chatfield. Then a, honestly, I think Tony's deal is good. Um, it's tough to, to look at and you got Nason and all you have lots of really good budget contracts. You got Jarvis still playing on a rookie contract. You got Natchez at 3 million. They've got all these really good budget skill players mixed in with, I mean, I don't think there's a a bad contract on on the list anywhere. So I, I mean, I don't know how and you can I do much you better pick, than what's that. What's the what's the worst contract on there? God, right now maybe Turbo looks not great, but it's one year. Yeah, and 
I'll Orloff say at seven's not palatable, but it makes sense. And even that isn't, I wouldn't even say a bad contract. Bad contract. And, and the turbo one, like, you know, it was a good contract at the time and it has been good value. I, until and this I think past it will, season. I think it will be good value. It, and management and Rod will know better than we know, but at the end of the day, it comes down to where's Turbo's head at. He's, you know, rough season, like, excuse me, rough season with injuries. And we know when he had his contract negotiations going on, his play dipped. He's obviously a player that needs to be in a good mental space to really perform at a high level. And it's Rod and management's job to find out hey this is what we expect from you this is the role we want you to play are you going to be happy with that and if the answer is no they have to seriously think about what value they're going to get out of turbo i still think turbo is a fantastic player i think he's capable of playing everywhere i think he had a rough season um i would like to see him stay but at the end of the day if the if management thinks that they can get a big boost and when you're trading him you have to consider what he can be and you have to go out and get an asset that's probably better than what turbo can be for a similar aav and you're gonna have a hard time finding that so my guess is there's been some posturing and rumors that he may be involved in trade discussions, and I'm, I'm sure he is. He's a fairly valuable piece and a guy that's been a part of this core for a while. Um, my guess is he's back and that Carolina will likely extend him because of this lesser season to a fairly team-friendly deal, and Carolina keeps just doing it over and over again. Team-friendly deal, capital... It's what they did with Natchez. I mean, yeah, I mean, it'll really depend on how his season starts, right? I think that's going to be a really big piece of it. If he has a a bad season and then halfway through the year he's had another bad season, you just got to seriously consider what like, number one, what is he willing to take at that point? If you're having back-to-back bad seasons, that's really bad for your next contract regardless and of maybe he at. realizes he's not in the top six here anymore and the utilization then isn't what he needs to flourish and he's not that type of player that's going to play down in the lineup and succeed okay then maybe it's a uh, a happy divorce on Absolutely. both sides and you move forward and they get an asset and train moves on yeah no that could certainly be something that happens i mean if you're looking to make a big splash, which the Canes constantly do, it, you, you, that's a piece that could be on the way out. For sure. Well, let's skip a little bit. We're going to come back to some of the free agent and re-signings, um, but you just teed it up so well. Sure. Um, what's your guess? I, I keep alluding to there feels like there's something else that's on the precipice. Something's coming. This is not how they will enter into training camp or even the season in, in early October. Do you have anything in your gut right now? Is there a turbo deal? Are we moving one of the defensemen? And if so, uh, what are they moving them for? And you don't have to give specific players, but like kind of an sure. archetype. I mean, I could, at the end of the day, if, you're, if you've got turbo on the market, you've got Pesci on the market, I think that we're at a point now where we're talking picks and prospects as well. There's going to be a lot of guys that, can crack NHL lineups that are going to probably have a really tough time cracking the Canes lineup. And you can't just 
let them sit in the AHL forever. Um, so at a certain point, you're going to have to start turning those assets into something else. And I could see them packaging together a lot of pieces, potentially going for a two-center um, as a short-term play for Kokaniemi to be your 3C and Stahl to be your 4C. I, I don't see a world where KK is playing 4C. I think he really grew last season. He's still young, and I think the potential for him is still higher than where he's at. So I think there's room in that ceiling for him to grow. And I think it would be a major disservice for him not to see 15, 16 minutes a night at a minimum. So I'm thinking you probably have to play KK worst case scenario as your third center. So maybe they go out and look for a, a second center in the interim that helps them maybe get over the hump the ne next couple of years. Could always see them going for a scoring winger. I mean, we obviously have been trying to acquire one for some time now, whether it's through free agency or trade. So I could see that being something they look for. And, and maybe it is they look for that, that next top four right-handed defenseman. I know we've got Scott Morrow in the pipeline. Um, how quickly do they think he can be on the Canes roster? How quickly do they think he'll be a top four player? Do they think he'll be a Canes player? What's the deal with that? So they could be looking to acquire a, a second-pairing right-handed defenseman, scoring winger, a two-center. I could. Those are the main places I could really see them going for sure. And I, I don't even have much to add. I think you absolutely nailed it. Um, let's kind of pivot over into, you know, it was an exciting, let's call it 24, 48 hours here in Canes land. It looked like uh, Vladimir Tarasenko was going to be a Carolina hurricane. Uh, I'm not sure at this stage in his career, if he is that high end goal scorer, but he has been in this league. Um, and then, at the same time, it felt like Carolina was getting really close on a potential uh, William Carlson deal, the reigning Norris Trophy winner. That's all kind of quieted down now. You, you kind of have the not William Carlson, Eric, yeah, <laughs> not Eric. the yeah, not the uh, <laughs> Vegas center. Um, but it kind of felt like we had gotten to the point where the balls were really in play, and now it's been a quiet, you know, two two-ish weeks. Uh, there was a report that Carolina and Pittsburgh were the kind of finalists for Carlson. Now it doesn't feel like that's the case. It's the, the doors back open. And obviously Tarasenko is now signed in Ottawa. Kind of tell me your emotions. What were you feeling through this time? And uh, I know a lot of people are really excited because it, it seemed like Carolina stepping out into the forefront when they had spent money in free agency already. It felt out of character, but still highly prudent. Uh, they're always in on every deal, but even these discussions felt so much more public than the traditional Carolina Hurricanes yeah. uh, trade dialogue. How are you feeling? Because I, I know it was a lot for me to take in. Yeah, so f we'll talk Tarasenko first, and it sounds like they were just waiting on the paperwork to be signed. Um, obviously, there was a major disconnect between Tarasenko and his agent, from what's been circling on the internet, it sounds like the Canes had put in an offer of one year at less than $4 million. Um, he ended up getting five. So obviously how that works after tax though. Yeah. I don't know. And at the, the reality is at the, at the end of the day, 
I'm going to speak to this from probably a different perspective than I think maybe some have, have looked at it from. And I think at the end of the day, what his agent was doing was saying, hey, we're going to plug you into the Canes. The Canes do a good job at turning assets. Rehabilitating careers. Rehabilitating careers. That's exactly what I was looking for. And he's going to play there one year. The cap's going to go up. And then we're going to sign that last long-term deal. I'm, And I think from his agent's perspective, that was probably a good idea because on the flip side, we look at a player like DeBrinket who went to Ottawa and when DeBrinket first went to Ottawa, all the talk was in the nine is he even worth 10 million at some points was the chatter. And after a season in Ottawa, he gets traded and signs for significantly less. So at the end of the day, there's more to it than meets the eye, I think. And I think what the agent was thinking was competitive team, rehabilitate career, be healthy for a year, score a bunch of goals on the Canes power play, go sign a big contract somewhere else the following year. Now the question is, is that going to happen in Ottawa? And I I don't know. Um, I liked his chances better to do that here. Um, but Absolutely. That's, Mike, that's a really uh, insightful perspective that, as you said, I, I haven't heard anyone uh, voice that uh, purview. So, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And, and maybe the, the pre, I mean, he changed agent. So the previous agent was playing uh, chess and the current one was playing checkers. I mean, a little bit more rudimentary with the get the most money now, need to sign for X. That is what my client is worth as opposed to reestablishing value closer to the player um, that we've known in this league. So really, really nice point there. Yeah, and I mean, it sounded like the agent had turned down some more term and money as well. Then I think Ottawa's initial offer was for more money and more term, and now they've circled back and he ends up in. So, I mean, at the end of the day. I understand not doing term just because of the cap going up. But, uh, yeah, and how did this whole saga playing out, were you like, High as I mean, high as high, like so pumped, or are you kind of lesser than the consensus feel on bringing him in? And then when it didn't ultimately come to come to fruition, um, were you okay with that? Yeah, so I never got all the way up. I thought, wow, there's like a really good chance this is gonna happen, but the, I, I've learned over the years you got to really wait until these things get locked in. Um, so I never got to a point where I thought he was 100% a cane. It just sounded like there was a really good chance. And I thought, yeah, I could see that being a good fit if they're going to get him for one year and good term. Like, hey, that's plug him into the power play, stick him on the third line, and let's rock. Like, I'm good with that. I mean, and if he has a good season, you can bump him up the lineup, and then you have more flexibility. So I, I hadn't I, – I mean, I liked it. I thought it was great. But at the same time, when you saw those early insider tweets, I think Shayna Goldman might have been the first one to tweet about it. Um, You know, there wasn't a lot of discourse to follow from some of the bigger insiders. And I will say this, number one, insiders have been all over the place this offseason. So there like it hasn't been a great year for rumors rumors have been flying everywhere that have been just completely wrong i mean that's every offseason feels a lot more speculative that's and and to be fair to shana cuz i'm pretty sure it was shana that was the first one to report it 
it sounds like the Canes thought it was done. Right. So no, she was on it. It's not her. And yeah, I, we, I wouldn't we know say the that's bi- a Shannon we, problem. No, not at all. It, and we know the the big voices in uh, hockey media always struggle here. But yeah, the, this whole thing it just to me, I never I was similar to you. I, it didn't pass the sniff sniff test from the onset. Like sure. something seems a little off here. This is not getting the traction, and it's not getting done. And once it lingers for a little bit after being kind of leaked or reported yeah if they those deals don't come home oftentimes they they don't yeah i mean when kane's stuff gets leaked it's done almost done, all the time almost all the, the only time, time the only time i can think of it was last year with marchment when it was right. basically the That's same scenario so it's just not something that happens and i think the canes thought they had marchment and the canes thought they had tarasenko so when these things leak out and like you mentioned when they start to kind of like quietly drag on and you don't see the everyone being like this is right this is right this is right that's when you know something's up so when 12 hours had passed i was like yeah this is every every hour that passes now is less likely for this deal to get done unless they're like he's traveling and d'angelo yeah we 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 felt like that was going to end up happening in some capacity and it did and it wasn't the original capacity um but yeah, I, I think we're on the same page. Would have loved to have had him, but it's not, once again, a deal breaker in any way. Um, I still think they're on the lookout for uh, some more scoring punch. And we, as we mentioned earlier, that might come via trade. Uh, the other big rumor, and maybe we shouldn't talk this one in the past tense because it looks like uh, Eric Carlson will still be yeah. traded. Um, what are your thoughts there? Is this a good ad? Is it is it necessary? Is it redundant? I don't know. Is it going to be worth the cost for you? Um, Cause it's not cheap. No, I mean, it's, it's not cheap. It's hard to turn down a pro- like somebody that produces is that level. That's a bona fide superstar offensive defenseman. They don't just, you know, you can't just find those anywhere. So when you have an opportunity, the biggest name to ever play for the franchise. Yeah. When you, when you have an opportunity to go acquire a player like that, you have to take it super seriously um, I think at the end of the day, what you're looking at right now is if you don't like the D'Angelo signing, I got news for you. <laughs> guess guess who else is horrible at defense? Eric Carlson. He was better so, last year. Uh, he was. I think I think he was for him. in the bottom of the barrel on the defensive side of analytics. But at the end of the day, when you are hemming teams into the offensive zone and producing at the clip he does, you're net positive, I, th- I think. So... If the Canes are able to bring in a player like that, great. You're, you're going to look different than you have as an organization uh, in the past. But, I mean, it would be hard to argue with that star power. Um, the cap is going to be a big part of it. How much... it would ha- I mean, we're expecting it to, but it would really have to go. It up. would have to be a multiple team trade, I think, because I think you'd probably want to pass off cap to another team as well. I would think the Canes want to get it down to at least half of its current value. And San Jose is not willing to go below a certain uh, point. They're, they said – they didn't say no definitively, but they were they put a hard stance on that they didn't want to. So essentially the price would be really high. I think you could get a Carlson for an asset mix of a Turbo, a Pesci, some – 
a prospect and a pick maybe something along those lines knowing those that guys are going to resign type deal or knowing that they're ultimately just going to go and flip turbo and pesci again it depends on how san jose feels and about the amount of money retained you'd almost want to i mean if they're retain, they've already retained on burns they're gonna if they retain on carlson I mean, you're really pushing your your window of competitiveness out anyways, so you're probably f- flipping Turbo and Pesci. And the question at that point is, do you even want them? Yeah, exactly. To and flip so them or not? Prospects so. and uh, Carolina's not going to do Nikishin, so uh, do I don't know. Well, yeah, do? I don't know. Morrow, does is this where Morrow goes? Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough I, to I, tell. I can't conceive a um, a good package to sure. that would entice them to do it and also retain the requisite amount of salary um, to get a deal done but then again I, i'm not sure who else in the league can put together that package either right well and have the cap space exactly. i mean that's the problem at this point if if you get them to about half and you move pesci and turbo out you're sitting with a heap of cap space left over. I mean, hypothetically, they could take on a lot more of the cap in that scenario. I don't think that's what they want to do. I think he's got, what, four years left, if I'm not Longer mistaken. Longer than you'd like it to be. You don't want to have four by eight or nine by any means. You definitely want to get that number down as an aging defenseman, but I don't know. It, I, you, you hit the nail on the head and something that I didn't grasp onto uh, in your initial uh, discussion of this and the fact that it would be a signal that Carolina would be operating as a franchise just differently. It's more star power forward. I I think we have often uh, prognosticated that that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. But I will say when it comes to this particular situation, I want them to be more, in general, absent of this situation i want them to be more star power for you forward you win cups with guys that are just superstars in this particular circumstance it doesn't feel like a canes move to me he's older signed for too long he's playing you know he plays a position that's not a position of need necessarily do you even want to reunite him and brent burns like well, it that's just, a question the, for Brent Burns. Right. That I'm sure the organization has had. Has asked. If he had any qualms about it, I don't think it would have been something they ever seriously went on anyway. So I, I don't think the Brent Burns bridge that people have created, I don't think there was really drama between them. I had them. never I think heard it was that really. Ice, yeah. I think it was more of a, like an ice time, right. maybe power play deployment at the most. And this is just speculating off really nothing to be quite honest with you so yeah i've never heard that seriously substantiated but to me this one just doesn't make a ton of sense i'm thrilled that they are always quote in on every deal uh, and are super aggressive in talent acquisition i just can't come up with a palatable um trade package that makes it work in my mind for for either side and really it's a little bit redundant as good of a player as he would be and as a big of a name i probably misspoke he wouldn't be the biggest name to ever play for the franchise he might be defensively but sure. um it it just now's not the time yeah um at the end of the day the thing for me that's really important about this whole scenario is that the flat or excuse me the sharks organization is from what i understand told him they will trade him 
And at the end of the day, when that happens and there's a short list of teams that are number one interested and have the assets to get him, and then it comes down to what is what's his preference like that price really starts to drive down and what i'm really curious about is is greer willing to go back on his word and not trade him because at the end of the day that's a slippery slope if if you're talking i think i've heard pittsburgh seattle carolina there was a while where like you mentioned carolina and pittsburgh were the front runners but at the end of the day all of these guys understand the pinch you're in and nobody's gonna hit a ball out of the park for you just to who's gonna flinch first exactly yeah we're not gonna up our deal because you know we know your backs against the wall they're not san jose is not uh negotiating from a position of strength here and the other teams recognize that yeah i mean look at the return on meyer like we talked about it when it happened i thought the return on meyer was not good to be frank with you and that's a is is greer gonna be gun shy negotiating against Waddell again because he got heisted last summer like yeah those things exist I don't know it's the Carlson thing is weird for me I kind of lean to your side where it's like number one I don't really think it's Kane's deal number two like I I just don't see it happening ultimately just due to all the moving parts with it and the Canes aren't going to be looking as Every day that we get close to the season, the Canes aren't going to be looking to add a Carlson. They're going to want to have, if you're bringing in a player of that caliber, they're going to want him in as soon as possible. We've seen how long it takes a lot of defensemen to learn the system and really start to blossom in it. They're not going to be interested in running the risk that that doesn't go well. So I, I just, if... And you're going to have five right shot defensemen. Like what yeah, I mean, you you have to move out. You have to out. move one out. A minimum of one, and you could potentially be moving out Chatfield as well. I mean, so all that to say that there is a lot up in the air. It's like eerily quiet, but the Canes news, if it drops, it's just going to hit us out of the blue one day. And that's why it also doesn't feel like this will be it. I would love to uh, check the phone and be bombarded with news of a huge forward trade that that's that's what i've been hoping for for the past number of years um as we kind of start to wrap up just want to touch on uh got something right uh michael bunting was signed by your carolina hurricanes Uh, Mm -hmm. i think it's a really nice ad palatable contract uh we already touched on lemieux and then the internal guys that were kept, I, I love that they were able to keep Jesper Faust. I think it was a good deal for both sides. Um, he definitely left money. He did, I think, of course. I think he did the organization a solid in the sense that, you know, there was probably up to, a, I would say, 600K more out on the market. I think he was pushing I think threes. that first number could be three. Yeah. I think he could have been in the, in the low threes. Uh, maybe with even a year more to like maybe topping out at three years of term, but there was definitely more money out there in the market. He loves Carolina. His family loves Carolina. Like this is, it's been a good place for him. He loves the staff and he's at that point in his career where he wants to stay here. And as Canes fans, we haven't had a whole lot of that in our lifetime. And you're really starting to see, the effects of the culture shift that I mean, Waddell's it's almost mentioned, become an but, expectation. The guys resign. Now. Yeah, they I mean, want to yeah. be here. Yeah, and taking less money to do it in a lot of scenarios, and 
you know, that's just a sign to the work that this organization has done. And we've been critical on them in a lot of facets for sure. I mean, we've been very critical of a lot of the things Dundon has done and, you know, we'll never forgive him for moving on from John Forslund, but that's, I mean, at the end of the day, he owns the team and that's his prerogative. But when you look at the, t- the quality on ice product and the quality for the players, they've done really great things in that regard. And you have to tip your cap to that for sure. 100%. And, you know, I, we didn't allocate a ton of time to Jesper, but I, I don't want it to go unsaid how low key of a fantastic signing and, and key kind of tertiary cog he's become for this uh, team and organization. So really happy he's staying in town. Let's kind of, there, there's two more names, one quick discussion, and then one final thought uh, about our Lord and Savior as we exit. Um, both Freddie Anderson and Auntie Ranta are back. Uh, team-friendly deals, Anderson two yep. times 3.4, Ranta one year at 1.5. Um, the discussion is not so much about the players because we know what they're going to bring, um, and they've been here a number of years. My question for you is, do we see a three-goalie rotation? Uh, is Kachekka going to be in the NHL or back in the A? Uh, and how does this play out? Because I'm a little uneasy to have the three-goalie set up. So, I mean, I think it's a guarantee that Kochekov plays in the NHL and not probably due to running three goalies, but out of necessity, you have two goalies that are injury prone that are your one and two most likely. So, and I think at the end of the day, it's going to create healthy competition. If Kochekov wants to take that next step, he's going to have to beat out one of the two and they're both seasoned veterans that come to work every day. I mean, you look at a guy like Ranta and he's extremely professional and Anderson is, you know, a very talented goalie and you're going to have to beat those guys out. Like I always, I've made the reference to you and I know Kachekov is no Vasilevsky, but Vasilevsky had to push Ben Bishop out of goal in Tampa Bay. Like, and he did it and earned the number one. If Kachekov wants to be that guy, he's going to have to do it. He had a really great string of games last year, and he's got to figure out how to put it all together on a consistent basis and make sure that he continues to improve. Um, We're going to see all three goalies play in the NHL next year. As far as AHL deployment for Kachetkov, it's all weird to me because when you think about loaning him to an AHL team and these teams have NHL affiliates – but that's a concern prospect yeah, goalies yeah, and you have to worry about Carolina doesn't have Chicago anymore and you have to worry about playing time coaching etc cetera, etc cetera. it's really not a great situation to be in luckily there aren't a ton of guys that I think are going to be drastically impacted by it based on where their career is at um, but Kachetkov could be a guy where it could be a mismanagement of an asset if you're popping him in AHL loans and not really giving him NHL time. I think we talked about you don't commit four years at $2 million to a guy that you don't see as your future, either one or two goaltenders. So it's something that the coaching staff's going to have to figure out. And I don't know. I don't know which way it's going to go. I just hope it doesn't stunt his development because we've seen such high end upside out of him. Consistency has kind of been the key. Um, but that'll be something for everyone to monitor. Now, as we wind down and get out of here, um, 
we, you know, we're the podcast. So we got to talk about this. It's, it's Rod, Rod's heading to the final year of his deal. Um, I don't think there's many rumors of an impasse, but Rod is drastically underpaid compared to league average and especially the other um, best coaches in the league. You know, the top five or 10 guys. I think if he hit the open market, he could be looking at getting paid almost double what he's paid now. Probably more. Um, yeah. So how do you think this plays out? Rod's always said he doesn't want to coach forever, um, but he wants someone to cut. So what are your initial thoughts? Um, are we going to have to change our podcast name? Well, I would certainly hope not. I think, I don't know where he did the on, interview Mike, the recently. Answer's no, we're not going to change our podcast name no matter what. Oh yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Um, until, until we get a season desist, <laughs> um, we'll have, we'll have to see. Um, real, I, I mean, I, like I was mentioning, I don't know what podcast or show or whatever he said it on, but he said it kind of on multiple occasions where he doesn't see himself anywhere else. He's not helping himself in the negotiating sure. world by doing some of the things he does. But what's really important to him and some of the things he's outlined is that, number one, he gets to coach where he lives and where he played, and that means a lot to him. Number two, he has a lot of say internally for roster management and things along those lines which not a lot of guys in his position have and you know like the quality of life that comes with it and the happiness he gets has a value on it that's outside of money with that being said i think he's under two million a year right now i think i think it's 1.8 somewhere around that range and I think he would easily command four plus on the open market. Sure. I'm thinking probably even closer to I mean, the five high end guys are on the five side. Yeah. So he's certainly underpaid. He's going to need to be paid more. It's never going to be at the high end of the market just because of the internal relationship they have and those little details that Rod has mentioned that he feels he has that a lot of other people don't have. No, I think those are all great points. And to me, you have heard Tom Dundon talk um, in reverence. To me, there's there's three people that come to mind. It's really four, but three of them are players and guys that can he I guess is, them? You can try. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, I can. The three guys I know. that came, came, he wants them to play their whole career. Slavin, Aho. Svetch yes. as the players. Aho would be the the recent addition to that. Group. Yes, because it was originally Svetch. Svetch yeah. was, was the one, one. and, and then it was Slavin, Slavin yeah. and now Aho's joined the group, and then Rod. Those are those are the, those are four. Those are four, and so we know Rod and Tom have a really good relationship. The negotiation wasn't necessarily smooth last time, but that was more so. It came out that Rod was trying to get more for his assistants. Obviously, that that ended up happening. I think just shows the character of Rod. Um, but at a certain point, you become so grossly underpaid that yeah. it needs to be rectified. And yeah. I think they'll end up landing somewhere in the middle on, once again, a a shorter-ish term deal. Rod doesn't want a five, six-year contract. We're going to be looking in the two- to three-year range um, that I think will tie them to this core through their primes. Yeah, I would think, yeah. We got to monitor so. this one. This, this is... Of all the things we've talked about today, the most in, most critical to us, the owner believes it's the most critical. So yeah. um, he's going to get done. He he's understands gonna... Rod's the straw that stirs the drink here. 
Yeah, and Dundon is a businessman at the end of the day, and he's a cold-blooded businessman. And, you know, it's going to happen, but he's not going to do it without trying to shave off no, of as much not. money as possible. And, I mean, that's just the reality. That's why he is a billionaire, and I'm not. Because I, I don't have that mentality and almost, I would say, 99.99% of Kane's fans aren't cut from the same cloth that he's cut from. And so it's harder for us. 99% of all humans. Are, I would are, agree. I mean, yeah. And, and I, I mean that yeah. positively. I mean, the guy yeah. is just built different the way he views the world. He's um, willing to take advantage and lean everything in all the way. And he's been it's a he's cr- a logical, to a great product on the ice for this team at the end of the day as Canes fans that's really what we care about it's given the organization sus- sustainability um and, and you're knocking on the door every year what more could we ask for five years ago this would have been so far-fetched but yeah. here we are and it's it's our reality now and we owe Tom Dundon that but you are absolutely right I believe this gets done because at the end of the day Tom Dundon believes Rod Brindamore is the most important person in the building and what does Tom Dundon care about? The on-ice product. He can be a cold mm-hmm. person, a, a calculated business individual when it comes to things that are not about the on-ice product. Yeah. No one impacts him more than Rod. It'll get done. Yeah. And, I mean, he's backed up what he's said. He's spent to the cap. He's done all the things he says he's going to do so far. I mean, without Tom Dundon, there is no outdoor hockey game in Raleigh. Like, he's had a positive impact. He's had his moments that have been unsavory and at the end of the day as long as you get a good mix there are some owners out there where it's just all unsavory. All, all bad. hey so, that's what we're here for we talked yeah. about the good and the bad uh, we've been critical at times but hey the the net outcome here has been wildly positive and, and so i hope that perpetuates forward it's just a, a bump in the road here and that ultimately gets done in the next 12 months i think it will um but a lot of good memories made in the dundon era and a lot more to come Yeah, I would say so. All right, you ready to get out of here? I think so. We'll probably see you in like September.